Welcome back, Italian history. We had a brief uh, pause for some COVID uh, symptoms in my household, including myself. Nothing's too serious. Luckily, I was vaccinated. But we're back now. We're all, we're all 100% over it. Chad, it's good to see you again. Uh, well, happy one-year anniversary of Howl History. Yeah, I didn't realize it had come and gone that fast until I saw your tweet like a day later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not the biggest Twitter user, as you know, probably can tell. No, I tweet like so, 20 times, and at one, one time a day, you roll on and you just liked all 20 of my tweets. Basically, yeah. that's what happens. In fact... I think you tweeted it when we were together the other night. I didn't, and I didn't, didn't even see know. It. Yep. I didn't even see it till the next day. I was like, man, how, when did he do this? I was with him. <laughs> All right. So we need to have a conversation, Chad, because as if anybody missed the tweet, we did go to the Timberwolves versus Pacers game together the other night, kind of to celebrate our one year anniversary of the podcast. And not even to do that. We had planned it ahead of time and then realized what was happening. But uh, we, got to, we got to see each other face to face for the first time in a few years. It was a blast. Except Chad. You left at the five-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Is this a general thing for you? Do we need to have a, an intervention? What's happening here? Uh, I, I do that every time because I park in the ramp. Yeah. And I live, it's a, you know, thir- I live 35 minutes away. So it already gets late for me. Here's what's weird because I was dead tired that night too. Sure. So I got out and I was, I, I, like it is the, tra- the traffic's light. I was basically to my, where my son goes to school. When the game ended, that's how fast I can get there. Mm-hmm. But then it takes me another 15 minutes to get actually get home. Um, so that drive I do twice a day. But anyway, I get to that point. But I, if I don't leave at the five-minute mark, it adds like 30 minutes to me getting out of there because the <laughs> ramp is so congested. You know, people getting out, yeah. not knowing how to work their credit cards on the machines. I mean, it's just like people learning how to, you know, walk for the first time every time you're trying to leave there. So – I don't have patience for that. So I'm like, if you watch the Goldbergs, I'm the dad that has to leave early for everything because I, I'd rather, and it's, it's sort of been something that my dad did when we were kids, we would go to the Wolves games. We would always leave. I'd be like, are you kidding me? It's a tie game. Right. Only five minutes left. And my dad would be like, yeah, but we got to beat the traffic. And then we'd be listening. And there was one time my dad took my brother to a game and the Wolves were down like 20 points with like five minutes to go. So they left. And they come home, and meanwhile, we're watching the, the rest of me and my other two brothers are watching the game at, on TV, and the Wolves come back and win the game, like, at the buzzer. Yep. Now, I mean, it was like Garnett, I think it was his rookie year, it might have been his second year with Marbury, and they went at the buzzer, and we're like, oh my god, you guys saw the greatest game? We're like, wait a minute. The How are you home already? Your- yeah. And they're like, just like, oh, what did we do? Like, they're like, yeah, we heard the whole thing on the radio. So it's it's been sort of like a tradition now that you leave and you listen to the rest of it on the radio. <laughs> so I was listening. I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Ellen Horton crushes it on the radio. Oh, he is the like, best. Yeah. For one guy that like, I, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't brought that up before, but he nails the, uh, the radio calls and it's, he's pretty hilarious. He's like, he rips on the mm-hmm. officials. He rips on the fans who are booing every call, even if they're good calls, you know, like, you know, <laughs> so he's awesome at what he does. Like, so, no, we have an amazing announced team, both on television and radio. They're, we're really blessed in the Twin Cities. I don't think people realize it until they, until they're like Uber fans and they're watching other games on the NBA, you know, TV or whatever. You start watching those, and you're like, oh man, these guys are awful. But we do have some of the best. I'm not, you know, a huge Kevin Lynch guy for like the, the rest of the team stuff, yeah. but, um, but I love, uh, oh, of course, not Marnie Marnie. and Rebecca and. Rebecca. Rebecca's analysis, like I think she does. I would just let you know. I'm sure she doesn't want to work every game, and that's why she doesn't do it every time. Um, But I, I love her breakdowns of the game. I think she's, she's honest, she's blunt, and she can articulate it in as few words as possible. Which I, I, you know, I just appreciate. It's a talent that not a lot of people on TV have. A lot of them. I mean, I think it's because she's a player first, right? Right, right, right. right. So anyway, yeah, yeah. And Marnie's great. I mean, the rest of the team's great. You know, I'm just not the biggest Kevin Lynch fan because he likes all the types of players I don't like and hates all the players I do like. And <laughs> it's like really a Rubio man. thing. Yeah, it is really. If you don't like Rubio, we can't be friends. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I like Rubio. So we have a podcast going together. That's right. You might be the only guy in the world that might like him more than me. Yes. I, lo- <laughs> I love that status. Anyway, it's it's dangerous here, Chad, that we're doing a podcast because it seems like every time we do a podcast with the breaks that we've had to suffer through these the 
this part of the season, the fortunes of the team completely turned 180 degrees. We started out right after the Houston game. You know, this season opener, they crushed it. We missed a couple weeks. We weren't able to do it again until they lost six in a row. And now this is our first one again after they've won seven of eight. I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen after this this episode. Are they going to go on another slide, or do you think they're going to keep it going? Well, the, the schedule definitely gets tougher than it did during the first six-game slide after the Houston one. So, it's true. I, I mean, I am a believer. I, I think they this team is is real now. Like, I, the defense isn't a fluke anymore. Like, we have a big enough sample size to, I think, trust in the defense. Um, so, I think as long as guys are healthy, they're going to be a – right around a 500 team you know they might they might get a four or five games over 500 and then they might drop a couple games in a row and then maybe panic sets in it just doesn't feel like the same wolves vibes that we would get in past years where you know like a tight game like ah we're gonna lose this yeah now i like fully expect us to win these you know it's weird it's a weird feeling to have it really is the, the Timberwolves remind me of the lyrics by possibly the uh, the best band of the 90s, nay, ever, when they said, I get knocked down, oh, I get up again. Strong. You ain't never going to keep me down. Chumba Wumba. Chumba Wumba. That's terrible. Tub thumping, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good choice, right? No. Oh, come on. You can't endorse that choice. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like I said, the Wolves have been on a... a one heck of a run lately. Like I said, the last time we talked, it was uh, kind of a rough stretch for your Timberwolves. They had lost recently to the Clippers for a second time in a row. Um, they were heading into a game against the Warriors that night. Um, they didn't win that one. They didn't pull it out immediately, but Ant did come out, scored 48 points in that game, but, you know, a career high for him. Uh, so even though the national you know, news coming out of that one was all about Andrew Wiggins and how he played, dunking over Cat a couple times, there was there was a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of promise coming there because, you know, even on an individual cycle, the Timberwolves didn't have a lot going on at that time. You know, everybody, as we had said in our last episode, was struggling. Nobody had really bumped up their value. Uh, but Ant came out. He you know, showed what, you know, the promise that he has, his ability to take over a game, even if it wasn't a losing effort. Uh, the game after that was a surprising one. LeBron didn't play for the Lakers, uh, but the Wolves won 107-83. to And uh, that third quarter was kind of the, the first... Uh, the first sign of life that we'd seen, or I said the third quarter was kind of the first sign of life we'd seen out of the Timberwolves since the, the opening night of the season. So that was, that was a really good game to see. Um, except, Chad, you know, the question coming out of that one is, can they do it again? You know, is this just a flash in the pan? Or can we trust these guys to ever come out two games in a row? And we still didn't hadn't seen it, still didn't believe it. And true to form, they came out and lost by 27 points to the Clippers again, their third time this season already. So it's just, at this point, it was probably a low point of the season. You know, it, wasn't good. You know, nothing was going right for the Timberwolves. They hadn't figured out their defense. They couldn't really stop anybody. And the only team they'd been able to beat was a Lakers team that, for some reason, tried to guard Carl with the center and didn't have, have even half the talent the Timberwolves did on the floor. So, I don't know. How, how were you feeling after that, that third Clippers game? Where were you, where's your head at? Um, I mean, I I definitely agree it was the low point of the season. I don't. I wasn't in panic mode. I wasn't like, okay, trade everybody, start over. I, I didn't feel like that because I did still feel like I actually didn't feel like the defense was even that bad at that point. I felt like it was more the offense. There just was no flow yet mm -hmm. between the big three. Beasley still hadn't really gotten it going yet. Um, so you just, you know, it was, you know, and I, and then I also just felt like, you know, sometimes some teams just have your number. Yeah. And I just feel like the Clippers are one of those teams, the way they're constructed, they're going to have the Wolves number. Like that's the team I don't want to, you know, match, match up, up with in the playoffs right. just because I just don't think, we win more than one game in a series against them. No, for that's, whatever a night up. that's a ma nightmare matchup for the Timberwolves right now. It is. Yeah. Unless they figure out a different scheme, you know, or, or, you know, whatever, but it's just like, they just look so dominant. No, the weird thing is new Orleans kind of felt like that for me as well. Even without Zion, mm -hmm. even though we won that first one, but that second one, I'm like, Oh, they figured it out. But what was great. And I'm, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but just to correlate back to the Clippers is cat sort of figured out, how to take advantage of the matchups that he was given in that game. And that was a, a good sign. So down the road, if Cat continues to grow from that aspect, maybe a series against the Clippers wouldn't be as detrimental as I, I think, although Kawhi would probably be back at that right, point, and then right. it's a whole different wrinkle. Yeah. <laughs> so Let's, let's um, try to ignore the Clippers, pretend they don't exist the rest of the season. We only have to see them <laughs> one more time, and we got three games out of the way. So uh, the 
longer we can go without seeing them again, the better. But uh, that was kind of the turning point. They had a game against the Suns, uh, which, you know, the Suns, if anybody's been paying attention, have won 18 straight games. So Best best game in, uh, best team in the, the league. Yeah, they're, they're crushing it. So even to have competed against them, the Timberwolves lost, you know, 99 to 96 in that game. But it was close the whole way, got into clutch time. It was the Timberwolves. It, it, that was another game where the officiating sort of seemed to go against the Wolves. Where A little bit, yeah. There were some bad calls on the stretch. It was like one of those games, like I was at the game. And we were feeling like all the calls were going against the Wolves early. Mm-hmm. Every single call, every close call, everything was going against the Wolves until our lead was completely eroded. And then all of a sudden they started calling you know, fouls that were questionable, frankly, against the Suns. And you're like, well, now you're just now it just feels like you're just trying to keep the game close yeah. for ratings or something. You know, it just it felt completely manufactured. Um and I, that that I hate more than just poor officiating, where it starts to become conspiracy ridden because it's so, you know, it, it looks so blatantly obvious when it's like they're not making bad call for both teams here and there. It's all for one team until the game's basically tied. I think it started to turn when the Wolves were down to like a two point lead, and then it was all the other way once the uh, Suns got a little bit of a lead on us, and so it was just. I don't know. I hate games like that. I mean, the officials have been a big part of the story in way too many games yeah. this season. Um, and some of that's the Wolves' own doing. But, you know, take that out um, and take those moments out. There's still been some really bad officiating. And I'm not just saying just against the Wolves, just in general, you know, across the NBA. I just think officiating is kind of a problem right now. It's been a rough year. But, I mean, it was a good game against the Suns. You know, I think I even tweeted out, like, I'm not even upset that they lost tonight. It was a well played basketball game between two good teams and you know the common response to that to that was largely like but can they do it again can they do it when it's not phoenix or when you know when they're on the road or whatever happens to be because at that point like we said they hadn't proven the ability to play two good games in a row or to get up every single night for these games even with the patrick beverly effect even with you know the talent that they had in the roster especially their offense was really struggling you know 96 points isn't a lot to score i love the 99 against phoenix but you know, they they hadn't proven the ability to, to really turn around, but they were heading into what was probably the most important stretch of the season. They were playing a lot, you know, multiple teams in a row that were going to be competing against for those, you know, end of the playoffs, play-in type positions, you know, the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 spots. Uh, so they started off against the Kings. It was not necessarily a beautiful game. Uh, it felt a lot kind of like the Orlando game heading you know into the end of the third quarter, uh, but they end up pulling it out 107-97. It's a uh, the the Timberwolves somehow won the offense or they lost the offensive rebounding advantage twenty to ten. They got kind of crushed on the offensive boards by Tristan Thompson and Rashawn Holmes, but they found a way to pull that one out, which was you know a good win. The Kings are at the time especially were a team that were kind of in a free fall. They were, but they were right there with the Timberwolves. You know, expecting to I think be they were, able to play like, weren't they? Weren't they a game or two still above five hundred at that point? Uh, um, but they had lost like. Five of seven or something. Yeah, they, they they've were... been struggling. It was kind of one of the last straws for for their coach Luke Walton. He was fired shortly after, uh, you know. And this was kind of the, still the point in the season where a loss to the Timberwolves for any other team was their worst yeah. loss of the season. It's like, right. you know, we go in, we take a look at the Orlando game or the the second New Orleans game, even the Memphis game where we were leading by seventeen in the fourth quarter, whatever happened to be. You know, it's like those are the games where like, ugh, how do you lose those games? And it, it, every loss to the Timberwolves for other teams at this point in the season was was one of those games. So. The Kings were upset. The Timberwolves come out again. They beat San Antonio by 25 the next game, 115-90. You know, they just kind of shot the lights out on that one. They were, you know, shot 43% from three. They won the rebounding, you know, matchup. And San Antonio obviously was pissed off that they lost to the Timberwolves, you know, a team that also expects to be in that play-in range. They come out against the the Grizzlies, and they have their biggest win of the year, 138-95. to You know, all of a sudden you start to believe, like, these are teams that we're trying to match up against, and they're showing some real... You know, real fight, real push to, you know, to separate themselves and to say, you know, we're actually maybe we're not, you know, a playoff team yet, but we're beating the teams we're supposed to beat, beating the teams that we're supposed to be right around in terms of expectations. So, you know, I think people are starting to believe a little bit. They get one more game against the Pelicans, one ten ninety six, and so this is a that was a stretch. You know, that was the four games that they needed to win. They needed to at least go three and one, if not four and zero, and they did, and they brought them closer to five hundred. You know, and really solidly in that nine ten nine ten range. You know, so I think from that point on, it's kind of been we're in the play in. How much further can we climb? Mm-hmm. And the bottom of the West isn't as strong as I think at least 
speaking for myself, as I thought it might be mm-hmm. um, coming into the season. I mean, you even have teams like Dallas and San Antonio who might be at the bottom of that um, that, that bubble range or whatever um, once everything's said and done because they, they've had issues. Well, San Antonio's kind of in a rebuild anyway. But um, it's, you know, when especially early in the season, you know, to the point where we're at, Sacramento started off so hot, they were like, whoa, they might be one of those teams that is – you know, fighting for one of those final spots and who knows where they go now with the coaching change and stuff. But um, it, it started to feel like even if the Wolves could turn it around, to what degree do you put the expectations? Like, cause at that point, my expectations just came low, you know, down a little bit. Like I, I no longer, you know, we talked before the season, I think, what was that? 34 wins Vegas had yeah, us about at. That, yep. And we both agreed it would be over. I, I think the number I said was, I thought around 39 wins. And I was starting to think, well, even if we got to 39 wins, I don't know that that's good enough for a bubble anymore, the way Sacramento was playing. Now, at this point, after the Pelicans win and stuff, you're like, okay, well, now Sacramento looks like the bottom's falling out. Uh, the Wolves are, like you said, close to 500. And now you're, you're back to the 39, 40, 41 one win team. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're and, – and, and it's looking like it's going to be enough. So maybe you are going to make the playoffs. Um, so – it's uh so it, it's been a roller coaster. Yeah, you know, you know so like of, I said, they worked themselves strongly into that play-in conversation. You know, where it's like, okay, whew, we're back to here. We're not going to be a 25-win team that just, you know, rolls over this season, which it was good to see. You know, at 35 wins, even if you make the 10th seed, still doesn't feel good. It doesn't get you where you want to be, but it's it, you know, it's better than the alternative. So, um but then the, the schedule, you know, everybody looked at it and said it's going to get harder from here. They've got to beat some legitimate teams. They got to go up a level. And you know, unfortunately, the next game was going to be going to be against uh, Jimmy Butler, our old buddy, and the Miami Heat. But the Wolves showed up, man. They uh, they came back out. They won one thirteen to one hundred one in one of the most exciting games of the year. I mean, whether you were in the arena or watching on TV, the the anticipation, the energy was palpable, and it was uh, one heck of a game. It was at that point my favorite game of the season, bar none. And it's weird because since Jimmy's left, I think we're what two and. Are six and two against them, or seven and two against against them Miami? Something? I think I, he hasn't played in every single one of those games, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but I think even I think it, the record against Jimmy is seven and two, I believe. Yeah. So between his run with the Sixers and and Miami, or maybe it's just his teams. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was a, that was a fun game to to be at to watch. Um, it was there was some, so many great moments in that game, mm-hmm. uh, both you know from the fans. And from the players. Yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, and it's, you know, Miami was the team that I worried about the most in terms of killing the buzz because, you know, at this point, Cat's starting to really figure things out and, and dominating his opposition at center. And he's figuring out when they put littler guys on him, power forwards on him, he's figuring out those guys as well. Bam is one of those guys that you're like, okay, he's the best of both worlds yeah. for a defender on cat and cat still did really well against them. I mean, he had a great game that night. And so, um, and part of that might've been the Jimmy, you know, added motivation and whatnot, but, um, it, it was, yeah, that, that was their, I mean, I know they had beat Milwaukee already at that point. That Miami win was their, their premier win of the season up to that point. Absolutely. Up to that point. I know, you know, I car Carl got into foul trouble early. He only played the first five minutes of the, the first quarter before sitting down with three fouls for the rest of the half. Uh, it was really the Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley show. It was Beasley's best game of the season by far. Oh, he scored yeah, 27, far. I think. Um, and, but Anthony was the star of the game, you know, the big man of the night. And he the moment of the year didn't even count because he dunked from probably 10 feet away off two feet, you know, put a guy into the earth and just, you know, kind of lit Twitter on fire with, you know, kind of the, the dunk of the year. Somehow gets called for a charging foul, which brings me back to my hoop idea of it shouldn't be allowed to be a charge if you complete the dunk. But uh, yeah, the, if luckily, only you could have got the vote, you know, got a Twitter vote going that night because I, know. I think you, think you would have had enough uh, support that night. People would have everybody wanted that to count. Yeah. I mean, the only one that the only people on the planet that didn't want that to count are people living in Miami. Because, exactly. You know, unless you have a vested interest in that, you wanted that to count. <laughs> it was so good. I mean, it was just amazing, but. Luckily, the Timberwolves ended up winning. If they hadn't, and that call had you know played a factor in them losing, that would have been very unfortunate. But the Timberwolves' defense locked down at the end, even though their offense couldn't really score in the clutch time. But like I said, they ended up winning by twelve. They pulled away at the end, uh, so they'd won five straight games. You know, it was the first time since two thousand and 
18 or was it since 2004? I can't remember. Uh, I thought I thought it was wasn't it? Did they win 20- five straight with with uh, Butler? I don't remember if it was if I remember they did four because the game before they kept talking about that. So I don't remember if yeah. we beat it with five or tied it with five. But it's true. Either, either way, either way, it was one of the longest streaks you know over the past 20 years, winning five straight. There was a chance to go for six straight against Charlotte, but somehow, for some reason, that's a team that the Timberwolves just historically struggle with. It's the team that they played right before the All-Star break last year and got blown out before everything changed with Coach Finch. It's a, the only team to really crush the Timberwolves during this this run. So uh, the we, had, we had a tough time when they were called the Bobcats. Yeah. We never did well against them, even when they stunk that entire time. It was weird. So Charlotte pulled out early. They ended up winning by 18, 133 to 115. Charlotte was 23 out of 40 on threes in the game. So... The Timberwolves had come in, you know, with the league best opponent three point percentage, and that got blown out of the water within one game. So, uh, you know, sometimes a, a team's just going to be hot, and Charlotte's playing well this year. So, they're not a traditional team that you go in thinking this is going to be the toughest game. But they've got a good roster. They got some guys that are going to give going to give the Wolves trouble, and uh, it was an unfortunate game. But luckily, this is a new Wolves team. They don't uh, take one game and let it start a skid. Because they came back out the next night or in the next game against the 76ers, and it was probably the game of the year. And I mean, I know that that Miami game was insane, and the energy was crazy, and it was an exciting win. But double overtime, 121 to 120. Carl fouled out, and then one minute left in regulation. Jaden McDaniels fouled out. Gerald Vanderbilt fouled out. Nas Reed had five fouls. Joel Embiid got everything he wanted to the entire game, you know, from the refs especially. And uh, D'Lo. It was his night, man. Best game in a Timberwolves uniform. He made some big shots. He made the huge three to put him up three with four seconds left in the first overtime before they gave up, up an unfortunate tip in. Uh, but and then he, some you know, won the game on defense right at the end. So uh, I don't know. You watched the game. What anything to to add to that one? No, I mean I think you said it all. I mean I thought the first half and Bead was held pretty much in check. It was that second half and then the two overtimes that he just really started to take advantage of things, um, you know, both taking advantage of the calls he was getting. He started to figure it out, okay, this is how the refs are calling it, and he just kept going back to the same well, and the Wolves didn't adjust enough. Um, so that was a problem. But, I mean, it, like you said, you know, it was the, easily the best game of the season. I mean, that Memphis game that went to overtime mm-hmm. and we ended up losing, that was a great game despite the result. That was a really fun one. Um, but Philly just, yeah, with the added uh, – the rivalry between Embiid and Cat made it all the sweeter. Um, and then D'Lo, like, actually playing well. Ant had – he didn't have the best offense game, but then he had the clutch block at the end. Well, and the huge Embiid. three to extend and the huge to three. put him up, yep. Yep, so he had his moments, you know. So I still don't think we've seen the the perfect game from all three of the big three. We've no. seen um We've seen games where all three have played well, just not – it's not, not their best, right? Like – if one or two might have their best game, but the third one won't, you know, yeah. will be a little off from their, their averages. Um, and that's, that's where Ant was in that one. Cause otherwise Cat and D'Lo both played awesome in that game. Um, despite Cat falling out late, you know, right. It was, he still had a great game. He had a huge so, first half. He, I think he was seven for seven at one point, you know, he, Embiid wasn't even able to keep up with him. He was crushing him from the perimeter. Carl had an amazing game. It was just unfortunate that he couldn't keep the fouls in check heading into the end of regulation. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's still his, the bugaboo with him is just trying to figure out, um, you know, not get so emotional. It's it's a it's a it's a, such a fine line with him because you know, on the one hand, you know, like being at the games, I hear all the grumbling from fans around me, mm-hmm. including that one loud mouth shouter <laughs> that I really can't stand behind me, um, and they have. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there, there's elements of truth to the grapes, you know, but part of what the, it's weird because on the one hand, people are upset when Cat gets upset with officials. Everybody's just telling them, just shut up and go back down. You're not going to get the call return, blah, blah, blah. All that's true. But on the flip side, they're like, he doesn't play with any emotion. There's no fire. You know, they're whining about that. And it's like, to me, you can't have a, like, he, yeah. he's too emotional, which is, you know, part of the problem. Um, so if, if he, you know, for for long stretch there, and even even now, he hasn't been bad about arguing with officials. Like he lets it go pretty quick. But what he does still do is, if he doesn't get a foul go his way, 
he comes back down the other side of the court and he's, it's still in his head. So he's, he's not as sharp mentally. So he makes mistakes on defense right. because he didn't get the call on offense. And sometimes he picks up another defensive fall right after picking up the offensive fall. Um, yeah, way too often I, for him. That's, I mean, that's a trend for yeah. his entire career. Absolutely. And, it, you know, and he's a smart guy. You listen to him in post-game interviews and it's like everything he says makes sense. And it's like, I can't imagine there's a scenario where he doesn't also have the self-awareness to know that that's true. It's just, I just think it's one of those things he can't help. You know, right. it's like a, a dog that can't help but run out into the street and chasing his ball. They know they're not supposed to leave the yard, but like they, that ball's out there and they just, it's so enticing, you know? So. Well, a lot of those trends that we've been talking about continued into the, the most recent game just the other night, the one that we attended against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, the Wolves won 198, even though they were missing some key contributors on uh, especially defensive players. And Patrick Beverly has been out with a groin strain ever since the Miami game. Jared Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels were both out with flu-like symptoms. So three of the probably their best four defenders were all on the sideline or back in the locker room. And uh, But they still were able to pull it out. You know, we said we haven't seen the perfect game from the big three, but they still lead the league in uh, games combined with 20 plus points with five on the season already with all three of them scoring 20 or more. Uh, they did it again the other night, and Carl, once again, was the best player on the team. He had a huge game, 32 points, but he once again fouled out. So, you know, it was a tough game against Sabonis. He, they got crushed down those. I think Sabonis had 25 rebounds in that game. They couldn't really do anything without Vanderbilt on the floor. He's really a, a tone setter in terms of rebounding and interior defense. But, uh, but yeah, just kind of all the, the good and the bad that we've seen in this stretch all came, you know, to a head again, and they were able to pull out another close game. It was crazy. Yeah, it was another game that D'Lo played really well. You know, mm-hmm. he came off the the Philly game, and he, you know, he didn't have the big point total. He had twenty one points, but he had like eleven assists and only like one turnover. Yeah, his um, first double double of the year. Yeah, and so like that's the D'Lo I love to see. You know, the guy that hits big shots when it matters doesn't necessarily have to go crazy to get those points, um, but gets you know a bunch of assists because you know D'Lo's another enigma because you listen to him talk, he sounds like the smartest guy on on the team. Yeah. Just listening to his analysis of the games and his overview of what, what we just watched and stuff like, it, like everything sounds so intelligent. And then we see him on the floor, like it doesn't, that intelligence doesn't seem to mesh with like what you see from him playing, at least in terms of his own um, assignments and stuff on defense or whatever. But then, you know, I know, uh, after the game, Dane had, or I saw it after the game when I checked Twitter the next day and mm-hmm. saw your tweets, but I saw Dane was, had tweeted, and I don't, you know, you, you saw where I was sitting, so you didn't, you know, we couldn't hear him. Yeah. Uh, but he was saying that D'Lo was calling out every one of the Pacers plays every single time down the court, which is, you know, pretty remarkable from a guy that's known for only giving you anything on offense and not being a defender. The fact that he's able to, to you know, see what they're doing and call that out and, tell people that, you know, his teammates were to be, um, you know, that's a huge asset for his team. Absolutely. I mean, he's been, he's probably played his best stretch as a Timberwolf over the last few games. Um, it's going to take a lot more than five good games in order for his reputation to change, not only locally, but nationally as well. Um, but he's, 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 he has a, the advanced metrics behind it. The numbers of, he's got one of the highest plus minuses in the league, especially a, a adjusted plus minuses. He's, you know, he's, kind of the tone setter for the Timberwolves. He's the steadying force in close games. He's the one that you can actually rely on to to get a bucket or make the right pass. He and Nas have a great synergy right now with their pick and roll game. So, you know, it takes more than 10 good games for a reputation to change for us to trust, you know, somebody that they're now a defender or they're now a, a, a changed player. But that's that, that's representative of the whole team. You know, they've won seven of eight. We've seen it we haven't seen it that often, but we've seen it before. So hopefully with this, you know, tougher stretch coming up, they continue to play tougher teams. Uh, they can continue to just play up to the level. They can not be, you know, a step below that continues to lose to playoff teams and is trying to scrap for one of the final spots, but they can be right there with the rest of them. Like we said, the Western Conference is kind of wide open right now. The Timberwolves are at 11, 10, 11 and 10 after this most recent run. So it's, you know, it's unfortunate they started so slowly, but, you know, there are they're tied in terms of games back with the fourth seed. The Mavericks are 10 and nine and they just happen to have a higher winning percentage because they've played less games. So, uh, you know, but then that, that goes all the way down to, you know, the 10th seed is 11 and 11. So teams four through 10 are all within a half game of each other. It's, it's going to be a crazy season. You know, we're a fourth of the way through it. 
And if they can continue to play well, they can continue to push, then they should be right there with the rest of the team. So it's been fun. It's been one of the most exciting and entertaining stretches of Timberwolves basketball that we've seen in years. And I, I you know, hopefully it can continue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it has been fun. And there's not like, it's one of those teams. And I, you know, I, I felt that this way about other teams that weren't as good as this team too, but there's not really anybody on this team. I dislike in terms of their game, you know, um, Everybody on here feels like they have a role. There's guys that I'm a little disappointed in, maybe. Like yeah. I had higher hopes for, for Torian Prince, for example, um, especially after I think, a couple of the preseason games. He looked like he was going to be a big you know, contributor to this team, and he's he's not had the start that I anticipated. Um, but for the most part, you know, I don't – and even his game, it's not like I dislike his – I do like his game. I just wish we'd see more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's – it's fun that way. I mean, I think there's there's still uh, there's still problems with the balance of the roster, but you know it, a lot of that talks away. Like almost every episode of Dane's podcast early in the season was talking about you know the the problems with the roster, the yeah. way it's built, the way it's constructed, the you know the personnel being all wrong, and all that talk has pretty much gone away. Not that we don't need a power forward, but it's not as crucial as it was, you know, two weeks ago. No, it's, and it's um, not even as cl- as clear as to what type of power forward you'd want. Right, right. You yeah, need somebody so, that's going to be able to play in the defensive system to the point that they can move around, that they can chase, that they can scramble. And if you get just a bruiser because you need somebody who's bigger bodied, who's going to be able to get, you know, suck up rebounds down there. If you put a, a Valanchunas as a center next to Towns, yeah, it would help in some areas, but they'd have to change their whole defensive system to do it. Right. Yeah, and I mean, not offensively, you don't want a power forward that's going to, you know, require a bunch of shots because you already have flow problems with the your current big three, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're going to be moving any of those three anyway now to uh, to add a power forward. So whatever they end up doing to get a power forward, it's going to be some other pieces and you know at this point do you even do you even think about making a move because things are going so well now do you really want to introduce some other potential you know riddle to solve um it, you know might might pay dividends on the road because you might be a more well-balanced team than come bubble or playoff time um but you know i you know and i said to you the other night at the game i actually would just prefer to see them play a little bit more of nathan knight mm-hmm. um use Nas more, which they've been kind of doing. But then on the flip side, when Nas there, we've seen lineups where we don't really have either Nas or cat or either, you know, and it's a really small lineup. Um, and I don't ever really like that because you're already, the rest of your four guys are already really small, even with cat or Nas out there. So it's, um, it becomes problematic. So I, I would like to just at least see, I'd see more cat and Nas together. And then, you know, when they both need a break, just, use Nathan Knight rather than going with two point guards or um, two shooting guards or something like that. Right. You know, it's just kind of tough. Like you said, you don't want to trade one of the big three, but, and this is something that we brought up many times in talking about Ben Simmons in the off season is what are you getting back? If you're not willing to trade one of the big three, you don't have a ton of value there, especially with the way that Malik Beasley started off this season. If he had started off hot, you know, the same way as last year, if he was scoring 19 a game with 42% three point shooting, maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe he's got a little bit more value, but right now he's, you know, one of the few guys on the team who has not gotten his value, especially his trade value, up to where you'd want it to be if you wanted to include him in trade. So you don't really have anything on the rest of the roster that you can flip for to upgrade at a position. So, no, my thought at the beginning of the season, if you remember, was to trade Beasley and Beverly. Yeah, I think Beverly's increased his value exponentially, but but he's increased so it to the so, Timberwolves as well. Exactly. Yeah. So much so that he's become almost untradeable now because he's your. He's the soul of this team now, you know, in a weird way. He's not the leader. He's not the, well, I shouldn't say he's not the leader. Leaders, he can be a leader, but he's not the face of the franchise, but he might be the heart and soul of the team. So it's, uh, you know, it is a weird predicament for both teams now. Yeah. So I I think that ship has sailed, frankly. I just don't think. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like you're going to flip an imperfect player for a different imperfect player that might have different weaknesses, but if you're taking a look at the players that the Timberwolves have on the roster coming off the bench, they're probably the weaknesses are the ones you choose. Like Jared Vanderbilt isn't perfect. Like we watched during that Philadelphia game the other night, him obviously pass up two you know, open shots within the lane because he was just too afraid to either take it at Embiid 
or flip up a shot from more than one foot away, which is unfortunate, but that's just the player that he is. But with what else? He also had a couple, a couple times where he also did take the shot, but he like made like ad- additional adjustments that were probably not needed because he wasn't confident enough in his first look that made the shot less likely to go down and it didn't like he ended up missing him. So yeah, he's, he's got the same, he's got a bigger issue with that than Simmons does. And that's the whole reason why Philly wants to get rid of Simmons. Yeah. Or, you know. But I mean, but if with everything else that Jared Vanderbilt gives you, if you're going to choose one weakness, especially with the other players on this roster, that's the one you can live with, you know? So, you know, we were talking about, you know, do you trade, J- you know, Jaden McDaniels and Malik Beasley and possibly even D'Angelo Russell to try to get Ben Simmons? And it's like, well, if you're going to package that much value and you better be getting back an all-star level talent in return because you're giving up half your team, especially, you know, some of your future future players. But if we've reached the point of the season where the Timberwolves are overachieving and we like the roster and you're just trying to do a, a trade deadline, we're going to trade, you know, some extra value at this position to improve at another position, like it's hard to identify the player that you would give up unless it's just Torian Prince as an expiring for a team that wants to get off another player. You know, that's really all I can see moving forward unless somebody goes real, you know, either goes in the tank or starts outperforming in a way that even the Timberwolves don't think is sustainable. It's just right now it would be tough to even identify who you would trade if you had to identify, you know, choose somebody. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, you asked me that the other night and I, you know, I agree. I mean, I, I will say, I do think Ben Simmons is, a guy you could add to your current big three without it causing any f- more flow issues. In fact, I think it would probably help the flow of the team because I think he's a better, um, he's a better partner to yeah. distribute the ball, to set things up, um, than D'Lo by himself is. Um, so I, I don't think that is a bad move if you can get him. but like you just, all the reasons you just laid out, you're not getting them without giving up, you know, one of those three. Yeah. Um, and so I just, and I, you know, right now it's hard to really make a move to get rid of any of those three. I mean, you know, I mean, D'Lo is still the least attractive of the three because of his salary and what he, what he's shown over the course of his career. But these last few games and really, you know, you can make the argument for the whole season. He's been maybe the most important player on the roster um, as evidenced by his plus minus numbers and stuff. So, right. um, and Finch has said, uh, at least I heard Britt say it, that Finch, it says D'Lo is the guy he trusts most on the offense on the mm-hmm. entire roster, um, which is interesting, you know, because he's, you know, not had a very good offensive season to his standards yep. so far. So, but yeah, he's picking it up. You know, I don't know. We don't need to spend a lot of time talking about trades because they're rolling. You know, they've won seven of eight. They're playing the Wizards tonight. It's currently a close game late in the third quarter. If we're still on the air here when, uh, when the game ends, we'll update everything at that point. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Let's walk through the, the the roster really quick and just you know talk about some of the highlights from from this stretch. You know who's you know when have each of the players kind of peaked or what's been the moment that stand out stood out to you? So, uh, Chad, I don't know. Where do you want to start? Um, let's start with the big guys first, like the the top three. Yeah, let's go with Towns. What what was your favorite moment? I, I you know if I'm thinking about it, I'm either thinking the the third quarter against LA or the first half against Philly. Do you have any other ideas in mind? So I have a I have a couple. Um, the first one I had was when he tied the game at the end of regulation against Memphis from nearly half court. Okay, yeah, uh, just a broken play, but Cat hit it. Um, I like that moment for several reasons, uh, but my primary reason is up to that point, every late game situation was either Ant or D'Lo taking the shot. Right, like they were not finding Cat almost because not so much that they were ignoring them as they were ignoring everybody else. They only <laughs> whoever brought the ball up wanted to be the guy. Um, and, you know, to some degree, I get it because D'Lo's been really successful in that role in the past for us. Um, but so is Cat. And, uh, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I, for me on the offensive team, as good as Ant is, and he's my favorite player on the team, you know, based off his uh, personality and everything else, Cat to me should still be option one and option two. And then whoever's hot between D'Lo and Ant would be option three. Right. <laughs> you know, and so that was good to see. And Cat hit it, kind of justified being the best player on the, on the team. Um, the other one was, I mean, I, so I did have Philly in there as well, his, his first half in there. And just because of the rivalry with mm-hmm. Embiid and, and everything else. But the other one I had was the Pelicans game, the last Pelicans game, just because he sort of got that monkey up his back. Valanchunas has been one of those guys. that's always 
been a problem for him. Yeah. So is Steven Adams. All these big guys, you know, so whether it was New Orleans with Adams before or New Orleans with Valanchunas now or Memphis with Valanchunas before, those guys have always been problems for Cat. Cat gets frustrated really easily with those guys. He doesn't like to be bullied. He doesn't like, you know, he likes to initiate the physicality. He doesn't like it initiated on him. Yeah. Um, and it it gets him out of sorts mentally, and it, you know, he gets into fall trouble really easily. He picks up bad bad falls and stuff. But that game, I mean, he he did the reverse. He got Valanchunas super frustrated. He got him into fall trouble, got him off the court. And I was like, wow, this might be, a st-, you know, he might be figuring it out, whether he's figuring it out on his own or or Finch and the coaching staff are just kind of like showing him tape and like, look, look what happens when these guys get under your skin, yeah. your game goes down the tube. Like if you can just keep your composure, you can be the guy that's renting space in their head. You know, like, why don't you be that guy? And it started to feel that way. And I think we saw a little bit more of it in the Indiana game too, but that was the first sign I thought we've seen under the Finch era of cat sort of doing that. I thought we saw it early in his career when KG was still here. I thought cat was more of the aggressor, the initiator. He was the, 12 pack of beasts that KG used to call <laughs> right, him. You know, yeah. he was a different personality. And I actually think that the Tibbs era made him second guess who he was either because of Tibbs or because of Jimmy or whatever, a combination of that, all the things that happened during then. Um, but I, you know, that was kind of a, a, um, a little bit of a shining light on, on the old cat. Well, it also felt like the first game really this year, or at least in a while where they kind of abandoned trying to post cat up. Every, you know, every single game to start out, started out. They just said, you're more skilled on the perimeter than these big guys. They can't stop you from out there. Take advantage of those skills. And that really, t- right. you know, that felt like a real turning point, at least for him. So that was fun. Yeah, they, they simplified it for him. Just to look, if it's a small guy coming out to you to defend you at the three-point line, shoot over him. Yep. If it's, if it's uh, a big guy, dribble past him and, and go to the hole. And he just, he was doing that almost automatically. Um, and I, I loved it. I'd like to see it every game from him because there's not, any one power forward that I think does a good job covering them. And there's not any one center that can cover them. What it is, is when one of them can defend them well enough to get under his skin. And then the double team comes and all of a sudden everything's yeah. go, goes, you know, I mean, he can even be double teams on, on most nights as long as he keeps his cool. But it's like once one of those guys gets under his skin or a couple shots don't go his way or a couple falls don't go his way. Mentally, he just kind of falls apart. He gets too frustrated. Mm-hmm. All right. What about D'Lo? Is there anything that beats the, the Philadelphia game? That's it. Yeah. I mean, that that game is, I don't know how you beat. I mean, he's, he had some quotes, but even that, my favorite quote of his was after the Philly game of, you know, he goes, yeah, a couple of those guys sat out and they came back because they were, they saw us on the calendar. They thought it was going to be sweet. It's not sweet. Yep. I love that confidence. I love that bravado from him. It was like, it wasn't, it wasn't fake. It wasn't, you know, corny. It was like spot on. I love that line, but that summed up his night. Everything he did that night was perfect. I mean, he was just, you know, he had a great game, hitting big shot after big shot. I don't know if you saw it going around on Twitter, the video that somebody posted where they kind of stitched together the reaction of Philly yeah, fans. Yeah, I saw it. With I think the, the Timberwolves put it out, right? It, uh, they might have. Yeah, I don't yeah. think they originally made it. Somebody else, because there was a name, like a like, um, okay, sure, a guy that made it or whatever. But um, you're right. I do think the Wolves, and then D'Lo even retweeted it um, as well. So with a comment, I don't remember what he said then, but that was awesome. Just, you know, seeing... Because that's the feeling Wolves fans have had for years, for decades. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you know even in the Garnett era, like even when we were good, we had we always played against a guy like D'Lo. It seemed like every night mm-hmm. that you know would hit these big shots that our team wasn't capable of hitting. So yeah, that the, was the Cole Anthony game from earlier this year. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was that was awesome. So yeah, there. I mean, I don't. I think that's a consensus number one highlight for D'Lo season so far this year yeah I came out of the first half and I even tweeted like this third quarter because I have grown to expect D'Lo to kind of either come out shooting in the first quarter and then you know kind of take it off in the second quarter where he gets the second unit rolling but the third quarter always seems to be where either he hasn't been involved and he tries to get himself involved or the team has been struggling and he tries to take it over and so I thought the third quarter was going to be his quarter but you know I was just a quarter off because once that fourth he scored 11 earlier in the early, very early in the fourth quarter they put the wolves up 12 Philadelphia came storming back but he just kept it going for both overtimes. He had some huge shots. That was just an, an amazing display of, of shot making. And like we said, he sealed the game with a steal, you know, and, and the leak out or the pass out to Torian Prince for the game winning layup, which was just, yep. you know, you don't see and him impacting the game on both ends like that. Yeah. And even having him break down how he did that, he's like, I thought they were to run that same action every time down the floor. So I just kept my hand low. So it was right there, ready for the, 
the pick and you know he picked it off so it was like that awareness mm-hmm. again was was awesome to see it was right. as important as the threes so so we've got we're coming to ant is it is it miami is there anything else i mean i know he scored 48 against golden state but it's hard to so beat yeah miami. we talked moments yeah and i mean ant's the king of big moments like he has two or three a game that feels two or three huge dunks a game yeah um, or a big three step back three pointer in a guy's face. I mean, he just ants just a big play guy. Like he's big on that. But for me, you know, you could say it was the dunk that didn't count. Mm-hmm. You could say it was the block against Embiid. Right at the end of the double overtime against Philly, that was a huge moment. For me, the biggest moment was his little chest up exchange with Jimmy Butler because that's what this team needed. Like we've always either been the team that shies away from that sort of aggressiveness and you know it sort of becomes the punk yep you know by other teams or we overreact and get overly emotional and take it too personal and the way ant handled it jimmy's the one that came off looking like he it was un, you know rattling him or ant was just turned around was like what i ain't i'm not going to like yeah are you serious right now yeah you think you you think you intimidate me not even a little bit sorry pal this isn't a hollywood movie Directed by your friend Marky Mark. This is real life. <laughs> you don't scare me. You know that was his uh, his sort of uh, attitude towards Jimmy, and I loved every single bit of it. Like, yeah. and and, I, and it wasn't fake. Like that that is who Ant is. There's not a soul on the planet that's going to intimidate Anthony Edwards on the basketball court. He said it after the game when he said, you know, Jimmy is not about that. He goes, I was never afraid of a fight. He was Jimmy's not about that life. He's he goes and he goes I, and I'm not about that fake shit. <laughs> like right. I just loved. Um, that whole thing. So to me, that was my favorite moment of the entire season, not just this run um, from Anthony Edwards. Cause I mean, he has so many dunks to choose from mm-hmm. that just being able to see him become sort of the muscle for this team when this team has needed it for since Garnett, because I don't even think I really don't see Jimmy as that kind of a guy. I think Jimmy's all bark, no bite. Yeah. That's why you don't see Jimmy in actual, you know, skirmishes on the court or any of that kind of stuff. He's just, he's just not really who he wants people to think he is. He does a great job of playing it up. I just don't think he's really that guy. KG was every bit that guy, but that's the last guy we kind of had like that. Like we, you know, you and I had like as much as we love Peck, we wanted Peck to be that guy. That's not who he was. Like, I don't think Peck was just bigger. He was bigger and he's probably got a mean streak, but nobody's going to try Peck. No, (laughs) you know, like he's, He's just not, you know. KG wanted the smoke, like all of it. Yeah, he, he was looking for it. So um, anyway, so that that was my, I, I like that version of Anthony Edwards. I want him to be that guy for this team. Because it's not going to be Cat. It's not going to be, I don't think, D'Lo's another one of those guys that I, he's so cool and calm. I don't think he'll ever rattle him in a situation like that. But he's not a fighter either. He's not no. going to, right. you know. Speaking of fighters, let's move on to uh, the surprise game-changing point guard for the Timberwolves, Patrick Beverly. Unfortunately, we've been without him the last few games, but he changed the whole season when he moved in the starting lineup. Any moment from any other particular game that, that really stood out to you? So my favorite moment didn't come in this recent streak. It was at the beginning of the season before he even suited up. Yeah. It was his first game where they called a technical on him on the bench. <laughs> and he shoot out to wrap. I yeah. just love That was my favorite moment because I was like, all right, this is where uh, he's engaged. He, he feels like this this isn't a wasted season for him at this point in his career. He like, he has something to play for. Um, and I thought he would anyway, but that like cemented it for me. I'm like, yeah, he's yeah. ready to go. Like he didn't see serious. this as uh, Randy Moss's Oakland stop. This wasn't just, yeah. 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 Get yeah. me to my next team. Yep. And that's probably not in his DNA. He probably doesn't have yeah. that, you know, gene that Randy Moss has to like take a season off, um, or just get stats or whatever. I mean, he's going to be tenacious every step of the way. So, uh, but if I had to pick one moment in this, this stretch it's just kind of a goofy one where he the, when he lost his shoe and still scored against the pelicans mm-hmm. um i don't know why i mean he's got a lot of other moments but the, like purely him that didn't include like a pass or an alley-oop like he had a nice alley-oop to vando i think actually that might have been my vando play yeah it was my vando play so yeah he had that one and, uh, he was involved in that one too but the one that's just purely patrick beverly yeah losing his shoe and getting a yeah, I, he, Beverly and Vanderbilt are kind of similar, where there aren't many individual plays that you can point to because they're just such nonstop energy 
that there are four a game where it's like Vando comes flying out of nowhere for the offensive rebound, kicks it out to the open guy in the, in the corner and gets a three. And it's like you'd think once a game from somebody like that, you know, or once a season, you'd be like, oh, man, what an amazing play in a time of need. Yeah. But Vando does it the first play of the game, you know, every night. And, and that's, kind of, so he's like, to me, he's like Ant. Yeah. Where Ant has an offensive bucket, a three or a big dunk. He has three or four of those a game, right? Counting the threes and the dunks. Yeah. And Vando has three or four of those plays on the defensive end. Well, even on the offensive end. My, so let's just go to Vando. My mm-hmm. favorite Vando play was against Memphis. He uh, steals the pass, kicks it up to to uh, Beverly, and then he points right away. Point like yep. Talk about Randy Moss. He's like, throw it up. And he throws it up and he gets the alley-oop. And I'm like, that was the epitome of it. That's where Vanderbilt has all the confidence. Yeah. When he's not thinking about offense, he's just reacting off of his defense. And then he's, you know, then he catches, like his hands are better. He's, you know, um, out of that. So that was my favorite Vandal play, but he's had it. Like you said, he's had a lot of moments where I'm like, I, it's, I'd say it like this. He has a lot of moments where at the time I'm going nuts watching it. Cause I'm so excited, but I can't, Recall them as well as an offensive. It's easier to recall offensive plays than it is defensive plays, like right. those moments. Yeah. Um, and maybe, like you said, maybe it's because he has so many of those a game that it's hard to remember exactly the situation for one specific one. And that's why the one I came up with happened to be an offensive play for a guy that scores four points a game. Right. <laughs> Offense from his defense, though, which was right. You know, exactly. really Vando. Uh, Jaden, he's missed the last couple of games to flu like symptoms, but you know, it, it was hard to really for him to top that opening game against Houston because he was everywhere defensively. But it feels like the last few games he had really started to find his, his niche coming off the bench, you know, kind of a sixth-man role. Uh, he was playing with that second unit in kind of a, a, you know, a way that needed his skills a little bit more. Um, but anything that stood out, I mean, over these last few games from him? Because he did have kind of a rough, rough stretch there. He did, yeah. My favorite moment was, this was also in the Philly game, uh, he's at the top of the three, and I want to say it was Maxi Tyrese Maxey Gardenham. And he makes a move and takes him all the way to the hole. Yep. Gets a, a nice, nifty little, you know, underhand layup and the foul. So he got the three-point play. Um, that was my favorite moment only because all we've seen offensively from Jaden outside of the summer league was catch-and-shoot shots and putbacks under, mm-hmm. you know, right at the rim. And this just shows another weapon that he has. Like, he's got pretty good handles for a guy that's 6'9", 6'10", uh, all arms and legs. You know, he, I mean... To, to drive on a guy that plays point guard yep. and beat him to the hole, um, you know, that was fun to see. I think Dane even called that one out, said it was his favorite uh, attacking the closeout moment of Jaden's career so far. Um, I'd say the only other the only other com- competitor for Jaden was the, the putback, you know, as you mentioned, against Miami that kind of sealed the game for them. They had a run out and missed a layup, and he, he tipped it back up and in to put the Wolves up for good, you know, and kind of put it out of reach. My but, other goofy one for him was against Miami, he goes up for a rebound or put back and uh, like Dwayne Dedman sort of b- was bent down and yeah. he's coming down over his back. And I was like, I stood up because I, I was at the game and I was freaking out thinking, oh, a guy that skinny, if he f- lands on the floor from that high, he's done for a few games. And Nas just catches him like a little baby <laughs> <laughs> jumping out of a burning building. He's just bloop, catches him. So that was a, that was a fun moment. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. We've gone through Jaden. Uh, what about Beasley? He's ha- he hasn't had a lot of great games this season and, not even many spectacular moments, but he's had a few. So anything that really stood out? So it's the one you sort of called me out for at the beginning of the show, which is when I left the Pacer game the other night. <laughs> I was listening to it on the radio, and he hit that three when it was tied. He did not have a strong game, but that closing yeah. three was huge. Yeah, The digger to, to seal it for us because it was tied, I don't know, 30-some-odd seconds or something. Yep. Uh, and here in Horton, Horton's uh, call on it was also – like probably made it more dramatic than if I was just watching it without the call. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like he was so, <laughs> so, was excited. so excited. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. But that, that was probably my favorite moment. that. And then there was a moment earlier and I don't think it was the Miami game, but his grandparents were at the game. It was the first game he got going. I think he, he had like 18 points that night. So it right. wasn't, definitely wasn't that Miami game, but he uh, just watching him interact with his grandparents every time down, you know, and they were like, you know, his grandma would stand up and kind of dance every time he hit a shot. But he was sure. that was that was fun from just a kind of a personal standpoint to see a guy who's had kind of a rough year, even if it is mostly his own doing. Um, the last twelve months, he you know kind of seemed to have that joy back in that game. So that was fun too. 
I'd say the only other guy that's been kind of a mainstay in the rotation is, has been Nas. We can get to a couple others, but favorite Nas moment so far this year? Well, Nas is the only one I had a couple. So the, the ones I came up with off the top of my head, and I might even be missing some because mm-hmm. um, I'm a big Nas guy. Um, he had a, at the end of the second overtime against Philly, yep. they passed to him down low. This was after Cat was already out of the game, and they passed it. Nas down in the paint. You're like, ah, oh, this is a get it, kick it out, kick it out. You know, like you're freaking out because he's going up against Embiid, and he he beat Embiid for a bucket. And so that was one of my favorite ones. I remember, um, yeah, I tweeted about that one too. It was kind of like you thought that the the game was over, like they were down by two possessions, they were down by three, and they didn't have a lot of time. And he just kind of did a quick spin up and under for the layup, and it's like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. And yeah, it's gonna make, it it helps, but it's like it, it seemed it seemed like Philly got us in the exact situation they wanted us to. Yeah. It, it, it's like Dilo said at the, after the game. You thought it was going to be sweet having Embiid defending Nas in the paint. It wasn't so sweet, you know. Um, and that kind of got us to, in a position where we uh, could could win it. My other favorite moment of his was a Memphis game, and it was because I was there. This was at home. He blocked um, Zaire. Yeah, Zaire Williams. It was Zaire Williams. He blocked right on my end. Of course, like. I could see it coming to when Zaire, Zaire beats his guy, kind of. There wasn't really even a defender on, but from the three-point. And I see Nas just coming up, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be a collision. And it wasn't so much a collision, but Nas blocked it so hard that Zaire was, you know, was put on the floor. And, I mean, I uh, so we have some Nas fans. They wear Nas Reed jerseys sure. every game that sit in front of us, like a group of like four guys. And so, like, it was just part of that because you get caught up in the moment. Everybody gets really excited. So, that was uh, that was a fun moment as well. That's awesome. Uh, Torian Prince has been in the lineup recently. Uh, he's been in the rotation, especially ever since the Patrick Beverly uh, injury. He's been in the starting lineup. Anything beat the the game winning layup against Philly? When I ha- I think that's it. Yeah, him, I mean really. he hasn't had a lot of good moments. So no, no, and he, you know he's not a big big part of it. So that's not even a, a slight to him. But um, but yeah, that was definitely it. I still can't believe he attacked and beat on that layup. Like I like I know it's for the moment you just go for it, but with the way he's been playing this year and just the fact that it was Embiid back there, I, just, I can't believe he didn't like pull yeah, it we, out, pull it back out. We just talked about it, right? There were spur moment decisions for Vando and he didn't do that. Yeah. Right. So for Prince to do it when it mattered most um, and, and make it, I mean, that was huge for, right. For this team. I mean, we probably don't win that game without that. So, so. well, it's been a fun stretch. Anybody else that's, that they had a moment for anybody that stood out for anything, but oh. I mean, I didn't have anything really for McLaughlin that stood out or Jake Lehman, but I did. Jalen uh, Noel had a really nice dunk against the Hornets. It was yep. just, um, you know, it was like he got up pretty high. I was just it was like, wow. I mean, I knew he was athletic, but that was like kind of an eye-popping dunk for me. Um, and then... We got to call out well, a Kogi's block the other night against Indiana. Block, I was going to say on holiday. That was my my top one for him. And then... Uh, that was Morrow. against uh, Levert, wasn't it? Was it? I thought, I, yep, I think it was Levert taking that okay. last shot, but yeah. Um, I wasn't sure who it was, so I, I again, that was on my way home <laughs> in the car on the radio, uh, so I uh, may have uh, just imagined it being holiday. Um, and then my Bomaro one was uh, overall his defense in general, but the, again, the Indiana game, that Dorte, Chris Dorte, yeah. Dark River, that guy, first off, that guy was annoying the hell out of me during that game because he really thought he was hot stuff. Um, just the way he carries himself, he just kind of looks like a prick. So when Bomaro was Ding him up like like 94 feet, he's got to be four inches taller than mm-hmm. the guy. He blocks him very similar to the block that Nas had on Zaire. Bomaro puts him on the ground, and the guy loses his mind. He's like flipping out, and that led to him being ejected. But yeah. the play was a fantastic. There was no contact. I mean, it was a good play by Bomaro. I just... Bomaro's defense has impressed me. So has this playmate. He also had the other one I put down for Bomaro. He had a uh, wraparound pass against Charlotte, and it was either to Nas Reed or it might have even been Nathan Knight. But it was one of those two guys. He had a like a nice little. He drives to the hoop and does like a wraparound pass on the defender, and either Nas or Nathan Knight dunked it, and it was just a nice pass by Bomaro Rubio esque. You know, right. kind yeah. of looking. You know, I mean, he was so fast on the court. Just it reminds me. Um, his playmaking reminds me a little bit of Rubio. He's not quite as fancy with the passes, but no, he's not two steps ahead the same way Rubio was. But yeah. oh, not I'm anticipating that, but in a 
in a full court, you know, three on two or something, he's probably faster than Ricky, which is crazy how, cause he's so much bigger than Ricky. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the part that reminds me of him. Well, it's, it's been fun. Uh, let's try to bring it back when they're still winning instead of uh, waiting for them to go on a losing streak. But uh, Chad, it's good to see you again. I'm glad the COVID's passed and uh, we, let's hope to try to get to another game. And if anybody out there took as much offense to Chad leaving with five minutes left as I did, you can find him at Chad underscore Cox on Twitter and uh, just give him all the hell. So, oh, well, how long did it take you to get out of there? Oh, I was parked in the city center ramp, so I just walked right yeah, over. You still get up to the walkway. Nah, and... It was fine. All right. No, I, well, there's you... only like three of us that go that direction. So, yeah, I suppose it was just fine for me. But <laughs> all right, brother, I'll talk to you next time. All right, man. Have a good one. Have a good one.